Chapter 14 of The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Swatera. The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 15 Whispers in the Air. But within a short time, Nona Davis also returned to her regular work at the hospital in Florence. Having entirely recovered her usual strength and nerve, she felt that she no longer deserved even a half-holiday. But, in order to make up for the time she had lost, Nona now went very seldom to the Villa Felice, hearing from Sonia more often by letter, but scarcely ever seeing her. Nevertheless, Nona managed now and then to find opportunity to think of Eugenio Zoli. She was a little annoyed to find how frequently she did think of him in the pauses from the more strenuous moments of her nursing and during moments before she dropped wearily to sleep at night. Twice she received notes from him, but with nothing in them of importance. The young officer merely wrote that he hoped Nona was well and not wearing herself out with too much work. He also said that preparations were going on even more brilliantly and that the late summer drive would be an even greater success than the spring attack near the Gulf of Triste. Of himself, Eugenio made no mention except to say he was busy and hopeful of many things. However, whether he intended it or not, there was even a tantalizing quality within Eugenio's short letters. Nor could one tell whether he was speaking of his beloved country, or of more personal desires and his hoping for many things. Once, Sonia also received a letter from him, and afterwards wrote Nona of it. The charming Eugenio has written me. He is of the beautiful manners and the susceptible Italian heart. I believe I have more faith in him as a soldier than as a suitor, and have an idea. Nona mine, that we will hear great things of Eugenio Zoli before the war is over. Nevertheless, Bianca and I miss him very much and talk of him daily. I have sometimes thought the little Italian girl cares more for her foster brother than either of them can know, and I believe it best if they never make the discovery. Bianca is with me constantly these days, and I should be lonely without her. For although Nanina is the most faithful of servants with regard to her work, she has strange habits of disappearing, usually at night and remaining away, until I really don't know when she comes in, as I must be asleep when she finally returns. However, Nona, I have no lack of visitors. Eugenio's friends are faithful if Eugenio has gone. My tea parties continue almost every afternoon without my volition. The signors appear and tea must follow. Yet we do nothing but talk war, war, war. It seems to me the Italians are franker than most soldiers, although they had once the reputation for being a secretive nation. But I think I could almost write out the plan of the approaching campaign, unless my guests are talking of matters that they do not really understand. All love and hoping each day to see you, Sonia. What was there of so particular disturbing a character in Sonia's letter? Yet somehow nearly every line of it vaguely worried Nona. First she wondered if there could be a deeper friendship between Eugenio and Bianca than she had appreciated. She had always believed Bianca to be less a child, to have deeper purposes and plans than most people recognized. Nona put this thought away from her. Eugenio had certainly treated Bianca with an entirely careless affection. Although aware that marriages were still occasionally arranged by parents in Italy, Nona could not believe it possible that Eugenio's mother would wish him to marry the daughter of her servant, no matter how unusual the girl might be. Then, more sensibly, Nona decided that the matter was not her affair. Whatever her own dreams, she must realize that, so far, they had no foundation in reality. 
for the latter part of Sonia's letter, Nona believed, gave her a real cause for anxiety. She might be foolish and imaginative, of course, but it again struck her as extremely unwise that so much talk of the war in Italy be allowed to go on at Sonia's house. Sonia was a stranger in Italy and had preferred to keep her own somewhat adventurous career as a Russian pacifist and a sometimes Russian revolutionist, a secret to their new Italian acquaintance. There was no reason for this except that Sonia desired not to attract comment or attention now that Russia had shaken off her old bonds and was finding herself in her own way. But if for any reason Sonia should come under suspicion and her career be investigated, why, the story of her past life would not be simple and might create complications. Simply because Sonia was a gracious, charming woman, her Italian guests had no right to take so much for granted. However, it seemed incredible that there could be anyone near Sonia at the present time who was not entirely trustworthy. But Nona's was a more thoughtful than impetuous nature, and having passed through so many odd experiences since the beginning of her Red Cross nursing in Europe, she saw no sense in taking unnecessary risks. For a few moments, Nona thought of writing Sonia and suggesting that she give up her tea parties. Then she wondered if Sonia would take her with sufficient seriousness and concluded to wait until she next saw her. Then a sudden added pressure of work coming just at this time, Nona temporarily allowed her intention to pass from her mind. She had not forgotten, however, and subconsciously, the thought was still with her. Only for the time being, she must give her more active attention to something else. Then, one morning, Dr. Latham unexpectedly asked her if she would go with him that same afternoon to the Cassini, the public gardens at the edge of Florence. The doctor confessed that he had something special he wished to say, and had therefore chosen a place where he hoped they might be alone. For a moment after his invitation, Nona was curious. The good doctor had looked grave. What secret could he possibly have to impart? Nona could not guess, having seen but little of him recently, owing to the pressure of hospital work upon them both. Indeed, after her first moment of curiosity, Nona had no further time for reflection until the hour arrived for her usual afternoon rest. And even then, she was in perfectly good spirits and looking forward to her excursion. As is often the case when the moment of approaching disaster is actually reached, one has forgotten the premonitions which have oftentimes warned us. But Dr. Latham was like his ordinary self all the way out to the gardens. He and Nona rode a part of the way on the tram, known in Florence by the so much more imposing name, the Circumfalazione. Afterwards, they walked along the Longarno and past the beautiful Corsini Palace, until they arrived at an especially beautiful group of ilex trees near the edge of the river. It was Nona who then reminded her companion, Look here, Dr. Latham, you had something or other you said you wished to tell me. Please don't forget, as our time will have slipped by and we must both be back at work. The doctor frowned. I had not forgotten. I was trying to decide just what to say. For I may have something very important to tell you, and I may have something very foolish. And for the life of me, Miss Nona, I can't decide. This is why I want to put the matter up to you. I may be a stupid old gossip. But if I am, there is no harm done. The two friends continued to walk on slowly, Nona rather wishing the doctor would come to the point. It seems to me people talk a great deal in the city of Florence, but perhaps not more than in other places. I am not much accustomed to society, neither am I so very old, you know, Dr. Latham announced, as if Nona had just accused him of being. But I have devoted most of my time to learning to be, well, just a halfway good doctor, but recently, since you seem to have had other things to do, Miss Nona, rather than amuse me, why I have been gadding about a good deal. 
I keep meeting old American acquaintances who had disappeared from my life to find they have tucked themselves away here in Florence. And, as I've told you, I've heard a lot of talk, but the talk I have not enjoyed hearing is about that good-looking friend of yours. I never have made up my mind, you know, whether I like her. But I certainly don't want to see her come to grief, for your sake if for no other reason, and insensibly, Dr. Latham's voice altered in tone. But Nona paid no attention to this. You mean Sonia, of course, she returned quickly, her own premonition of trouble returning. Yes, I mean Sonia. People in Florence are saying that she is too popular and that too little is known of her. They also say that news of some of the conversations that have been taking place at the Villa Felice is spreading to other sources than those where it belongs. Of course, it is scarcely Madame Sonia's fault if her Italian guests are too outspoken. I have said things myself out there which, perhaps, had better have been left unsaid. Just the same, if the gossip becomes serious, and if any important information be delivered to an untrustworthy person, there might be the devil to pay. Italy has never been able to rid herself altogether of her German inhabitants, I hear. She was so overstocked with them when this war broke out. Not that I should worry if I were you, Miss Nona. Personally, I don't think there is a thing in the world to worry over so far. But I think I'd tell your friend that she had best be a little more careful of the conversation of her guests. I'll go out there tomorrow, Nona returned, her voice shaking a little, although determined not to let Dr. Latham know how much his warning had frightened her. If she had not thought the same thing herself before this afternoon, she would perhaps have taken more calmly the fact that Sonia was exciting gossip. Sonia should have known better. However, she seemed to be one of the persons who could not pass through life quietly. Try as she might, she seemed ever the center of a drama. End of chapter 15. Whispers in the Air.